session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolaku, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, our studio number 310-441-0555. I wanted to start off the show today talking about self-care and uh, not just self-care, but looking at what we could look at as uh, the other side of the coin of encouraging ourselves. And I'm trying to come up with a concept or a way to phrase the concept. So far, I came up with self-care versus self-carry, meaning carrying yourselves forward or pushing ourselves but self-carry also uh, can sound like something related to carrying a gun here in the united states there's open carry laws and things like that so anyway for now we'll go with self-care versus self-carry and i think when we look at our lives often we're looking for easy rules to follow always do this this is the most important thing Uh, you know always follow this rule exactly and that's the path to a good life but I really think most things that we have to do and one of the biggest challenges we have in life involves finding a balance between different beneficial things that in different degrees are good but we have to be flexible because at different times what will be asked of us might require something different so for example it's not just about closeness in a relationship, it's about balancing closeness and space in order to create intimacy, in order to keep the fire of passion alive. Too much closeness and the fire collapses and doesn't get enough oxygen, not enough closeness and there's no heat to keep the fire going. You have to find a balance. So if we want an easy rule, there isn't one. And not only is it not an easy rule, it's a constant balancing act, meaning that you're not just done. We've achieved the balance of closeness and space. No, you're two living, breathing people and your relationship also is going to be living, breathing thing. So things will change. And so you might be in a good balance right now but kind of like someone walking on a tightrope which eat with each step you have to make sure you maintain that balance and if you lose your focus you can fall off and so similarly your relationship for example might fall off so uh, the reason why I wanted to talk about this today was the book I discussed on Monday's show which I highly recommend why we sleep by Matthew Walker really brings to light how important sleep is so the title says why we sleep which is what it does discuss about why and we don't really have a perfect answer for that but it's also about what happens when we don't sleep or what happens when we get enough sleep and all the incredible health benefits that we get when we do get enough sleep and all the ways we can suffer physically in essentially every organ and part of the body and system of the body and also mentally and emotionally and in our development when we're growing but also for the rest of our lives our brain development and health and maintenance if we don't get enough sleep how damaging it can be and so I did take that to heart and I shared this on Monday that I at times 
think I don't give enough emphasis to how much sleep I'm getting or can be very inconsistent with that. And reading this book was definitely re-motivating of making sure I prioritize sleep and how beneficial it can be when you do get enough. And also that sometimes people think, well, I'm okay with the amount I sleep, and it might be true, but at times we adjust to something and we don't realize it can be much better. Or you could think, well, you might be okay, but imagine how much better you would be if you were getting enough sleep or getting more sleep. That can make a big difference in how you feel, also in ways you might not realize. He also shares in that book some research where people can't determine or are bad at estimating the hindrance in their performance or how they're doing based on sleep deprivation. So you might think you're okay or performing at a high level, but you don't realize the deficits that are being caused by lack of sleep. And again, that you actually might do better if you sleep more. And so this did encourage me, as I was saying, to focus on my sleep, make sure I'm getting enough sleep and more sleep. And I highly encourage anyone listening, one, to get more sleep and to make that a focus and priority and don't think of it as an afterthought. And also to invest in your sleep in various ways. Uh, Talk to someone today about getting a new mattress for themselves. And I think that's great. Make sure your bed is comfortable. Make sure you make your room as dark as you can. Um, Pillows, beds, all those things that you can make comfortable go ahead and do that because it's really one of those investments that returns favorably because of how significant our sleep is to our well-being. And when you consider if you're getting enough sleep, you shouldn't be in bed about eight hours a night. That's about a third of your life that you are in bed. And so it can be smart to invest in making that a comfortable place to be in a place where you sleep well. So uh, as I was thinking of this aspect of sleeping more, this could be considered one of the components of self-care make sure you get enough sleep, which I think is very true and very important. And so I think there's been a healthy movement in the world, and you look at things like social media and and society in general, of recognizing that at times we live our lives in ways that are not taking care of ourselves. And we can burn out in a professional way, but also personally, we can uh, recognize that we don't feel good physically, emotionally, and so people are recognizing, you know what, I need to take a break at times and make sure I'm taking care of myself and not just focusing on work and the obsession with productivity that we can have uh, at, at the expense of our own well-being, both physical, mental, and in our relationships as well. So I think this is a very good thing that we recognize the unhealthy ways we live our lives. We recognize the things that we have accepted in society as normal ways of being that are not normal or healthy at all. While at the same time, I think this is good, there has to be a recognition, and this is what I was talking about, balancing two different components of the same coin in a sense, is that you also need to to live a good life, push yourself out of your comfort zone. And when we talk about working hard in a good way, that at times involves pushing ourselves. And this is what I mean by self-carry, that you have to carry yourself forward too. So it's not just that, well, if you're resting and taking breaks, that's good. It is in its correct doses and in healthy forms. But also, we don't want to allow that to make us give in to not trying hard in our own lives. And we can also waste our lives by not putting effort into the things that will be beneficial for us long term. 
So because we're biological beings, we have a tendency towards doing things that maintain our especially momentary homeostasis. So if you feel a little bit tired, there's going to be a strong pull towards resting. And this is where I'm saying it gets blurry because sometimes we really have to make sure we get that rest. It is important to get enough sleep, as I was saying. We do need to take breaks at times. But also, it's important for us to push ourselves sometimes through some of those discomforts and pains in order to do better to achieve more. If you're someone who hasn't exercised for three years and you start to exercise, it's going to feel uncomfortable and painful. It's going to feel almost wrong. A lot in your body might be telling you to stop because it doesn't feel good. Although we know that it's going to be good for you long term, in that moment, the pull is going to be towards, let me stop doing this. Let me take it easy. And so this is what I mean that we have to be careful because if we just think of, well, self-care, it's like, yeah, take a break. Don't go. Don't do that workout because it's making you feel bad. And that could be very dangerous in its own way. If we don't get enough activity, if we don't push ourselves in that way, our body will pay the price in the long run. We'll have momentary comforts, but we will lose in the long-term benefits of what we can do and we'll pay the cost down the line. So this is where that balance has to come in. And sometimes we could be pushing ourselves, okay, I'm, let's say, exercising or working or doing something, and I need to keep pushing myself, but we might get to a point where it's unhealthy, where we're pushing ourselves too far. So we all have to look at this balance in our own lives of self-care versus self-carry. How much am I making sure I rest and take care of myself, maintain my overall well-being, which also includes things like having fun, relationships, even doing things that feel good that might be uh, productive in that sense, but also pushing myself out of my comfort zone as well and there isn't a clear answer I can tell you that if you feel this that means it's too much if you feel that that means it's too little you're going to constantly have to reevaluate this within your own life it's not a set point or a state to achieve but an ongoing process which also means we have to take a look at ourselves and what we're doing because often we don't let's say try something new because it makes us uncomfortable and we might think, well, this is self-care. I don't feel good doing that. Well, is this, as I always say, the pain of discomfort that is leading to damage or pain that is leading to growth? And in the moment, it won't always feel so clear. In general, our body is going to push us and our brain will push us towards doing the easier thing. But it's not clear which one it is. You're going to a party and you have a little bit of social anxiety you're going to feel uncomfortable going to that party. Is it too much? It's hard to say. Sometimes it might overwhelm you and you might not be able to handle it and it might even set you back because now you're even more anxious to go to the next party because you have a panic attack thinking about going this one or getting yourself there. But at the same time, it could be that if you just say, well, I'm too anxious, I'm going to stay home, you're reinforcing the anxiety. So we have to ask ourselves, where is this balance of self-care versus self-carry? When am I doing something that's actually taking care of myself by resting? Or where am I actually preventing myself from growing and achieving things that will feel good? Because when we look at our lives, we have to take care of ourselves in order to keep going. But we also have to make sure we keep going. We're doing something that we look back on our days, our weeks, our years and our lives in a way that we feel good about what we've accomplished. So we do have to find a way to push ourselves to 
push ourselves in ways that won't always feel good in the moment or often won't feel good in the moment, but leads to something better. We can look back and think, okay, look at how much I've accomplished. Look at how much effort I put in this direction consistently and look at the results of that effort. And if we don't do that, I think, unfortunately, we'll look back on our lives and, and regret that we didn't do enough. And so it's maintaining ourselves, but also maintaining our goals. And it can be important to keep both of those things in line. So you can ask yourself, where do I fall on this spectrum? Where are areas of my life, because it's not something that's black or white either, or a, a binary thing of all of your life is one way or the other, but where in my life am I possibly not doing enough self-care, not taking care of myself, not making sure my well-being is in balance or in check? And also where are areas where I might not be pushing myself enough that I can do more, but I'm taking the easier, comfortable way out, which is easier in the moment, and I can justify by saying I'm taking care of myself, but really you might be limiting yourself and what you can do and what you achieve in your life. So this came to my mind in thinking about sleep and how important it is that we get enough sleep. And at any age, we still would want to have eight hours opportunity of sleep, meaning being in bed for eight hours or trying to get eight hours of sleep. It is so important. And so I hope we all take that aspect of our life importantly. But of course, we have that eight hours. But then what we do with the other 16, we want to make sure we fill it in a way that we feel good about too. So we want to do that self-care, but not forget about the self-care and pushing and encouraging ourselves to do more. I'll work on the phrasing. I don't know if self-care is going to is going to carry the day uh, or going to work, but I just wanted to bring up this uh, type of a balancing act that we have to do, another one of the many that it takes to live a good life, self-care versus self-carry. All right, let's go to our first commercial break, studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Back studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hi. Thanks for calling. Hi. Um, okay. Are you talking to me, right? Yes, I am. Thank you. Yes. Go thank ahead. you for taking my phone call. Sure. Um, um, I just wanted to thank you for everything that you and your dad has done <laughs> all these years for Iranian community. Our also, pleasure. I have a question about my twenty-four-year-old son, mm-hmm. who is. Uh, you know, he has been going to college for ever since he finished high school, but uh, he just has been dragging it for many years, and finally he's getting his associate degree. He doesn't want to continue. I think there is no point of getting education. You can be successful without education. So we kind of gave up on that, and we're just letting him do what he wants to do, hoping that after getting his associate degree, um, after being around for a couple of years, he's going to realize it's not going to work and he's going to go back to school. But my main concern is his habit of smoking weed mm-hmm. that uh, he developed. I don't know when it started, but it's just getting worse. And I feel like he's very dependent on it. He has to basically do it every day. Mm-hmm. And I really want to help him. I think that he wants to help himself. He just doesn't know how. I know he's an adult. He's 24 years old. Yeah. What What is your suggestion? Well, I feel like mm-hmm. the drug is... He only uh, smoked weed. I feel like this is the drug that's keeping him behind. 
Well, it, it's possible. These things are always complicated when we try to figure out, is it the drug holding someone back? Is it they're feeling held back and they're turning to the drug because they don't feel good? Usually it's not going to be that black or white either. Some of both might be going on. Um, but my general recommendation is not, unless he says, I want to quit, and that's the most important thing to me, to make this your primary focus in how you relate to him, that it becomes this goal in every interaction or a big part of your interactions that I got to get him to stop smoking weed and that's going to fix the problems. The way you're describing your son, it doesn't seem like weed is the only problem. There seems to be some level of how he sees himself or how he sees his own abilities and those issues might be more at hand than if we get rid of the, the marijuana he's all of a sudden going to flourish and life is going to be really mm -hmm. good for him so I wouldn't make it a, a big focus because well as I said if he really wants it you can support him in that that's one thing but um, to in any way impose it on him or put a pressure on him usually you won't change the behavior anyway and you'll just push him away from you or you'll make him uh, more likely to either hide it or just do it on his own so I would take away the primary focus being that but it's possible mm -hmm. it would, I'm not saying it's not gonna um, be helpful now m anything we take uh, it's not just about if it's good or bad people can drink alcohol in a way that you know might be okay in their life or they can drink in a way that ruins their life or is really really destructive and so mm -hmm. it's not to say that his smoking is not but smoking marijuana in and of itself, I wouldn't say is a really bad thing. It just depends on how he's using it, how much he's using it, how dependent he is on it, and the effect it's having. So that's something that you probably can give me some idea of, but more he can explain what role marijuana has in his life. So you said he told, you think he wants to stop. You said something like that. Yes, that's what he says. But again, I don't know. Maybe he's just saying that to make me feel comfortable but we just got back from Iran a couple of months ago mm -hmm. and he you know talked to a lot of people and he realized that it's not good for him and he was really good for a for a long for a couple of months he was good and I felt like his behavior changed and all of a sudden when he then we got back and he has started doing it I actually noticed that he's doing it again by his behavioral change because he just went back to the old person he was. And that's how I realized that he's doing it again. Because when he does it, he just likes to spend a lot of time outside. We call him, he usually takes us back. He says he's driving, he's gonna be home. He, when he is small, he likes to drive for hours. Mm -hmm. He comes home, goes to bed late. Um, he's, he's a procrastinator, he procrastinates everything. And uh, th that's basically how I realized he's doing it. And I did a drug test on him. And, of course, <laughs> you know, I realized that he's been doing it. But how did, you, him, how did you do the drug test? I just bought one of those uh, kits that you, okay. you know, do it at home. And you told him, I'm going to drug test you? Yeah. And I what did he... I'm going to drug test And oh. this was my first time. I've never done it. Okay, on I hope it'll be the last because it's usually yeah. not a. <laughs> it's not going to really help us. I mean, I don't know what it's going to accomplish. You know, uh, it seems like you already knew or you asked him, and and you know, I'm not sure if it's going to help in, in any way. What's your mm -hmm. What's your hope in doing the drug test? You know, because 
to be honest with you, he had said it many times that he's not going to do it. Okay. And you know, my thing is, if he does it just to have fun, like a lot of people who do it, I don't mind it, even if he does it once a week. But my issue is when he does it every day, and he does it a couple of times a day, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I know that's priority in his life. He doesn't make much money. And when I see his credit card statement, there is so many times that he has gone and bought, you know, he cash out his friend. And I know those friends that mm-hmm. they're selling him drugs. So that, you know, that's how I know that yeah. he does it. So, but after we got back, I truly honestly thought that he's over if he's not going to do it. And I was very disappointed when I realized that Again, I realized it because his behavior has changed. And when I tested him, of course, mm-hmm. and he lied to me. He said, when you stop using drugs, sometime even after two months, it is still shows positive. Well, marijuana does marijuana does stay for a while. It does, I, I'm sure it depends on the type of drug test. But marijuana will stay in, in the system for, I don't know if it's weeks or even a month. It could take some time. So that there is some truth to that but see if we look at the dynamic that you're having with him it's this power struggle and this sense of uh you know you're the police and he is the criminal and you're trying to catch him in his crime and this type of a dynamic does not end well or doesn't really help him um now a few things one is we don't know if he wasn't using when you were in iran or traveling no he wasn't using that okay well i mean uh, I i'm just saying we don't sure. know uh, we don't know i mean i know you're okay. saying you don't know for sure but there's so many ways to take so many things so i don't know i can't say he was but i wouldn't say he definitely was not but regardless i mean you probably saw a different side of him you're on vacation you're in a different place he's around different people and so i'm sure you did see a different side of him and he did as well I think I wouldn't say everything is coming back to the marijuana, that he was not having marijuana, and so you saw him in a good mood, and then he came back home, and now marijuana, he's in a bad mood and not doing anything. He also came back to life. So a lot of people will uh, be depressed or not in a good mood or something. They go on a vacation, they feel really good, they come back and they get sad again and because mm-hmm. they come back to their life. So um, I do get the sense from what you're saying when you say he dr- drives for hours and you ca- said he's a procrastinator. It does seem like he's avoiding life in some way. So I don't think it's uh, not concerning the things he's doing. They do seem concerning. It does seem like there's an overall avoidance of facing life, even that you're saying at 24 you know he's still going for his associates, means that he's been you know, either failing classes, dropping classes, skipping classes, taking time off. So there is a way that he's avoiding uh, life. And I think marijuana plays a role in that. But I think he's using it to avoid life, not that he wants to be so engaged with his life, but then the marijuana gets in the way. So my concern is more about how he sees himself, how he feels about himself, his future, his strengths, his abilities, what he can do in the world more than, as I said, if we get the marijuana out of his life, all of a sudden he's going to be this super motivated person. Mm-hmm. So what? So then what should I do? You know, I know I, sometimes when I talk to him, you know, he tells me, like, I feel down a lot of time. I feel uh, I have a lot of doubt in myself. He do tell me this kind of mm-hmm. thing sometimes. Yeah. He feels like uh, he's not going to succeed. But, you know... He has goals that he wants to do things in life, but I don't see him working toward his goals. 
You know, it's yeah. just like a dream. Like you want to be a movie star, but mm-hmm. it's just in your mind. You're not working. Yeah, yes, and you're yeah. you're right, and that, that that's what I am getting the sense. He's staying in his mind a lot, and and that's why I think the marijuana it's not the cause of what he's going through, but he's using it as a means to avoid life or a way of um, maybe numbing his feelings or checking out or doing something. But it's not that that's the main core problem. It does seem like he has these goals. That's good. But I don't know if he believes in himself to achieve those goals or has the state of mind to be consistent in working towards those goals. And that's what we need to help him. And that's why I'm saying I wouldn't focus on the marijuana as I have to just get him to stop and then things are going to fall in line. It seems like there's much more going on. And so when he tells you I'm down or I'm not feeling good, well, first tell me, how do you respond to that when he, he comes to you and does share that he's not feeling well? To be honest with you, I don't know what to tell him because I'm not professional. I do tell him, you know, whatever, like, you know, it's okay. People go through things in life. You're going to get there. You're very young. You have your whole life ahead of you. But again, I do tell him I'm not a professional. If you need to get professional help for those questions that you have, because I don't have answer for them, I can, you know, set you up. You can go talk to someone. And he actually did that for a little while. Mm -hmm. Then he stopped thought it wasn't working okay well that that's good and yeah you're you're not a professional nor do you need to be you're his mom and so you have to just be there as his mother to give him love and support and so if he comes to you those are good moments to one try to connect with him and two try to help him see how he can help himself so you might support him like you said finding him a therapist but also see what else he thinks. You know, you can ask him, what do you think would help you or how can we help you and see what he comes up with. But you have to realize you can't fix his problems for him. He's going to have to do it himself, which can be tough to see him not applying himself. You feel like he's not really making efforts to get better, to do better in his life. I can completely understand that that's very hard for you to watch him in that way, not really trying. Exactly. Yeah. And that's exactly my point. I don't mm-hmm. want him to, he's 24 years old, I know he has, you know, his life ahead of him. I just, but you know, years goes by so fast, I don't want him like five, six years down the road when he's 30, he realizes he's still in the same position mm-hmm. that he was mm-hmm. five, six years ago. All his friends, they have, you know, moved on with their life, they have family, they're making good money. And he's behind. I just and I I do tell him that you know if you want me to help you in any ways I can help you, but I don't want you to, you know if you already have doubts now, you know what's going to happen five years from now when you feel like you're staying in the same position but all your friends are way ahead of you and there is no way for you to catch up. Mm-hmm. And that's why I just don't know how to help him. I really don't know. I, many times I told him, uh, even though I feel like smoking weed is not that big of an issue compared to other drugs Mm -hmm. but uh, I do tell him if you want I can check you in to a place so you know so you stay there so you get treatment and he tells me he doesn't need that yeah so I wouldn't push that anymore um, if he's saying he doesn't want that like a rehab then how do I help him what should I do well 
I'm yeah. helpless. I don't uh, know what to do. Well, and I, I could get the feeling is not good that you feel some ways helpless or powerless to help him. And there are things you are trying and there's things you can do. But as I was saying earlier, we have to recognize that what you can do is limited in a lot of ways because he's going to have to help himself more than anyone else. So it's not going to exactly. be your problem to fix for him. I'm sure you want to and you wish you could, but the reality is that you just you just can't. Now, I also wanted to know about the family. Does, does he have any siblings? Just one sister who is very successful. Uh, how, older or younger? She's 14 months younger. Younger, okay. And so that can be tough. Not that your daughter, good for her, she should do what she's doing, but he probably feels that, that he's the kind of the black sheep or the one that's not doing well in the family. I'm sure he has in some ways that reputation or that feeling in the family. Yeah. And but so, I try not to, you know, compare them at all good. because I know they're different, they're, you know. But sure. you know they were born in the same family. It's not like there is a big gap as far as, you know, aging. I, I just don't understand why one of them turn out to be that way the other one is complete opposite yeah you know this is um lots of families have this question you know they'll say well we raised both kids the same way how come they can be so different so different and yes. so and that's also you know when you ask that obviously how you parent has an impact on your kids or else i wouldn't talk about it on the show or talk to parents about it but we also have to be aware that you can't you're not controlling your kids based on how you parent so it's not that if you're if your daughter is successful, I don't say that's because you were a good mom. And if your daughter was not successful, I don't say it was because you were a bad mom. It's not that clear of a correlation or causality, but it does have an impact, obviously. So I don't want to say you, nothing you're doing is having an effect. But what mm-hmm. we have to also be aware of is that people, the way you parent is going to be different based on the kid or that interaction. So if you have an anxious child and you respond in a certain way, they're going to respond differently to the same parenting as a calm child or one who doesn't have a lot of anxiety. So even if you do the same thing, because of the interaction, you might not get the same result. So I wouldn't try to figure out what was it that made this happen. And when you also present it in that way, at times parents can have this feeling of, am I to blame? Am I guilty? And so maybe part of what you're thinking is like, no, look at my daughter. If she's okay and I parented her the same way, it's not about my parenting. In a way, it's almost like there's something with my son that is creating this problem or this issue. And so I don't want us to focus on the blame or the exact cause because that's not going to get us very far. What we obviously can only do is look at what we can do now, which is what you're trying to, to figure out for him. So we're at a commercial break, and I do want to share some more thoughts from with you and also to hear from you. So I'm going to put you on hold, and then okay. we'll talk a bit after the break, okay? Sure. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with a caller. Let's go back to them now. Caller, are you still there? Yes. Okay. So we were talking about your son who's 24 and you're you're worried about him in general not uh, applying himself the way you'd like. He hasn't um, been doing so well academically or at least the way you would want him to and you're very concerned about him smoking marijuana. Now, I wanted yeah. to ask you some more about him because you said he has goals, although you feel like they might be dreams or they're dreams in the sense that he's not really putting work towards those goals. But what does he say are his goals or the things he wants to accomplish? 
he loves he loves to be a film director. Okay. But I don't really see him doing anything. You know, he has been talking about it for years. He does little things here and there, but nothing really. We haven't really seen anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. And as far as uh, you mentioned, he doesn't really make a lot of money, so financially he's dependent on, on you. Yes. I mean, he had jobs before, but every job he gets, he's, he's like five, six months you know, in the middle of it, and he either doesn't like it or something happens or, yeah. Mm. And this job that he has now, he just he just got it. So we're going to see how long this one is going to last. Okay. And then his sister does not live at home or she lives at home too? No, they both live at home. Okay. Uh, yeah. What's they their relationship like? I'm sorry? What's their relationship, the brother and sister? Um, they, they have a very good relationship. They have the same friend that they share because they went to the same high school. Mm-hmm. But um, that's my daughter's concern too. A lot of time, both of us sit down and talk about him, like, you know, why doesn't he get it? Like, life is, you know, more serious than that. He's just, you know, taking it too easy. And I, I wanted to ask you, could this be hereditary? Because my husband's family, you know, his father, he was a heavy opium user and so is his all of his brothers and my husband does it occasionally and my husband also smokes weed okay so it's kind of hard to tell my son not to do something when yeah. i see my husband do it well, that's that's true and when he sees him do it um and there is a hered i mean human beings use substances so all humans have a tendency for it but some people can be more prone towards addiction there is some something there genetically so it's possible that there's a genetic component here at play i would also wonder when we're looking at genetics and what has been inherited from a mental health standpoint for you and your husband and also family background is there uh, depression, anxiety. What what do you see both in yourselves, but also in your families? You know, I'm not I'm not so sure about my husband's family. Mainly, what I saw, uh, the, the the guys in my husband's family, they're all drug users, they still do. And in my in my family, they don't they don't do anything like that. But on my mom's side, um, my my cousins. They are like, what do you call it, um, Vasvos? Like obsessive, yeah. That big obsessive, so maybe OCD, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're OCD. I mean, some of them are like, my aunt was OCD to the extreme. Like, she would would go to bathroom, leave the door open, leave the light on, leave the water running. That's how bad she was. And so was her kids. They were like that. Okay. So there's some anxiety from your side, at least. And depression and anxiety tend to be very related and inherited in that way as well. From your husband's side, you see a lot of at least substance use, possibly addiction on that side. Yeah. Okay, and that could make you, I could understand, more concerned about your son's substance use or fears of him falling into addiction. Even you said a few times, only marijuana, only weed. I'm not sure if that's because you're concerned he might go into something heavier, more serious. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Which I, and I can understand that concern. So he could be prone to addiction. That's something that could be troubling. Um, as I mentioned, and I think you're aware, it seems like he's avoiding life and he's living in a 
a fantasy world in some ways. And so one thing you can consider is since you're financially providing for him, it, it can be okay to have some expectations from him that you talk about with him. And I, I don't know if there's any way that he financially either contributes or is responsible for himself or you mentioned his spending and he's transferring money to friends. Are there any expectations from him financially? Not really because uh, he doesn't really make much and this last time his credit card statement was about 1700 and before I find out that he's back to smoking uh, me and my husband talked about you know paying it for him before we never got it back but we said this time we pay for him but he can pay us back in like three installment but when I find out that he was smoking I said no so because I make both of my kids to pay the statement balance every time this is okay. a habit that we have that's good so we never carry a balance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I told him since, you know, you're back, I don't want to, I've been helping you all your life. I don't want to help you. I feel like maybe I'm helping you, but I'm not. Yeah. I said, I'm I'm just going to let you just pay the minimum balance, which was, um, I'm sorry, minimum due, which was $25. Mm-hmm. I said, once you, you're, you're established in your job, then you can pay off the whole balance in a few months. So I'm not going to help you anymore this way. Yeah, I think it can be important. No, no, sorry, go ahead. My my daughter actually was telling me, (laughs) you have to kick him out. So, you know, I I know this is not in our culture, but sometimes I really thought about it. Like in my heart, I don't want to do it, but I feel like if I tell him, you know, you're smoking weed, you don't want to really do anything. And he is tend to be a little lazy as well. Just, you know, if you really like your friend who gives you drugs, then go live with them. Mm-hmm. You think that is that a good idea or no? Well, these things I, I'm not going to give you a direct recommendation, and especially not just to kick him out now. Um, I think it can be important to have some expectations from him and some consequences to what he does, so that if he, I think it's good that you are trying to make him responsible for what he's spending. He can't just spend whatever he wants, and there's no consequence or expectation that he can pay for it himself because some of what we have to help him do is face reality more and so that's something to look at i know i was saying anything everything he's going through is not based on your parenting but of course it does have an impact so we want to see how much are you enabling him to avoid facing the reality of of his of life of having responsibility of having to work to take care of things that if you want to buy certain things you have to do something for that you can't just say I want it so I get it Um, so even in a financial sense I would want to make some more boundaries with him and it's not a black and white thing either you kick him out or do things exactly the same way I think it's important to slowly increase the ways that he is responsible for things or the responsibilities he has to have in the home in a variety of ways, including the financial. Mm-hmm. But if I, for example, um, if I tell him you have to contribute $200 monthly, mm-hmm. for example, do I have to make my daughter to do that too? Well, that's, an, that's another thing, and I was thinking about that. You have to be aware of not creating a double standard 
that mm-hmm. you know he'll feel that well why do I have to do it and it'll feel unfair and it'll feel another way of making him different than her it, that's something to consider so maybe you can even have a family meeting and whatever you come up with what will likely be better is to come up with it with him so rather than one day you you know show up at his door and say you have to pay $300 a month rent I, I think it'll be better to have a conversation with him that you know as you're getting older we think it's good to encourage you to be part of the household supporting the household taking care of yourself more and then you know asking him what he thinks and then what he wants to do or what he thinks is reasonable as far as an expectation goes from him because we have to be aware of not contributing too much to this unreality he's living in in this fantasy world that I I get the sense he's avoiding life and we have to do our best not to contribute to that that he can just stay in that fantasy and everything is okay he needs to face some consequences of things yeah so uh, avoiding life is is that a condition like does it have a name no there's no i mean and i wouldn't be so worried about the specific diagnosis but there's a way we all avoid life in some ways some people do it more than others where they stay in a fantasy world rather than facing the real world more and we're all doing it to different degrees people use video games Uh, drugs, food, sex, gambling. We do these things of escaping ourselves or escaping our lives. People also daydream. They stay in a fantasy world. They maybe don't use a substance, but they can sit in their room and just for hours imagine I'm famous or I'm rich or I'm this or I'm that and just stay in that fantasy world. And so some of that can be okay. Sometimes we want to check out for a little bit here and there, as long as it's in balance of facing reality and taking care of ourselves and the responsibilities we have in life. The sense I'm getting from your son and how you're describing him is that he spends a lot of his life thinking in that rea- uh, not facing reality. And I cons- I'm concerned even when you say being a director, it could be an artistic thing. Is there just a part of I want to be famous or be in movies and it's exciting? But is it based in reality? I don't know his talent, his ability, or what he's doing from what you're saying. You don't feel like he's even putting effort to go towards that. And so we can even support him. And, okay, if you want to be a, a director, let's help you. What do you want to do to work towards that? And that's what I feel is that he's just, it's a dream, but that he's not trying to actually make it reality because it's safer when it stays a dream. He doesn't have to work at it. He doesn't have to worry about failing. He doesn't worry have to worry about doing the challenging things it takes to achieve his goal. And so that's why I think you have to be aware of, are we contributing to him not facing reality in, in certain ways? That's my concern. So it's not a diagnosis specifically. Uh, maybe, you know, it could fall under some diagnoses. And if someone is depressed, they might do that. If they're very anxious, they tend to focus on the future and worry about uh, the future. But there's just a way that I feel that he's avoiding life overall. Now, do you and your husband agree, disagree, fight over how to take care of him? How are you dealing with that? Because it'll be important that you and him um, are on the same page and how you deal with your son. The consistency is going to be very important. Yeah, we are on the same page, both of us. The only issue is like, you know, when I tell my son, I don't want you to, you know, do it. Not as much. You know, I understand all these young kids, they do it. Almost most of them do it. I don't mind it even if he does it once a week. I'm fine with it. But when it's become his life, that's my issue. And the only issue I have with my husband is when you do it, you go to garage and do it, and I smell it, then it's not going to help. Yeah, it probably does not help with that specifically. I would, as I said, 
uh, make the the weed less and less of your focus because it's just going to turn into this push and pull. Mm-hmm. He can hide it from you. As I said, I don't think the drug test is going to be a good precedent to set that, okay, let's say, and even what's the what's the consequence if you find out he, you know, uh, he the drug test comes back that he smoked marijuana. It's not you know, like those consequences you're going to face. The only time that I did it, and I was so shocked <laughs> that it was positive, I couldn't talk to him because I'm, you know, I couldn't talk to him. You know, like I was in a mad stage. I just couldn't talk to him. You so couldn't. Like was it because you thought he was? in the way you put it, like he was over it because of... Yeah, I, I truly thought he was over it. That's it. I was so happy that this is done. Okay, finally, he's getting life. He's facing life. That's it. I don't have to worry anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, you're you're going to... You don't need to worry about him in the sense that it's not going to be up to you to make or break his life, as I've said. But it's not... These things usually aren't that way where it's just done or it's a phase. And if he's been doing it for a long time... It's probably not the case. So, if anything, I would say your expectation that he had stopped and stopped forever probably was a little bit yourself not facing the reality of what was going on. I mean, it's not very likely that you go on a vacation and he just stops and never touches it again. Maybe you were hoping for that or wishing for that. But it's not probably my expectation wouldn't be that he's just going to stop, especially because I know he said maybe he does it too much, but it doesn't seem like he really wants to stop smoking. It doesn't seem like Mm -hmm. that's... His focus is that he wants to stop. So if he doesn't want to stop, I wouldn't expect him to because he doesn't see it as a problem the way that you do. He mm-hmm. enjoys it. He likes it. He um, probably also socializes around it that and also does other things that relate to that. So I wouldn't assume that he's going to just stop and that we've gone over it. And like I said, I wouldn't make that the, the problem that if we get rid of marijuana, his life's going to be good. It seems like there's much bigger things going on in how he sees himself okay. and life then, and those things. Yeah. Then how, how do I help him? I know you're telling me, you know, maybe this is he has a bigger issue than that. Then how am I going to help him with? How do I find out what is it? What is it that is bothering him? How am I, how am I going to help him? Does he ha- need to see anybody? It, it's likely going to be beneficial, but he has to want to see someone and feel that he wants to see someone. I think I would get away from the mentality that I have to hurry up and fix this problem. Nothing is going to fix it. There's no, okay, it's this, and we figure it out, and we told him this, and now he's going to change his life forever. You know, you have to recognize that your son is in a certain place that it's not going to just change overnight or even very quickly. There's going to be a lot that has to change for his life to change and for things to be different. So to be more patient with it, as hard as it is to see him in this state, and you've probably had to be patient because it seems like it's been for years, nothing is going to change him today or tomorrow or very soon or some vacation is going to change his life and he comes back and is super motivated. These are pretty big issues that he's been carrying for years. And so it's possible therapy will be could be helpful, but it's if he wants to go to therapy. He has to want to change. And so as I was saying, one of the main things I think you can do is making sure you don't allow him or you're not contributing to him not facing reality so you give him consequences so and it's not just based around weed if you don't smoke weed i'll pay all your bills is not a good you know um mindset so if if even if he quit and you said because i'm so happy he's quitting i'll pay for all his bills i think you're just going to continue contributing to him not facing reality 
and that's mm-hmm. the bigger problem. So weed is less the issue. He might use weed to escape reality or part of what he does in his process, but to me, is it's his lack of facing his own life that's the bigger issue. And it's not something you can just change or fix for him. You have to be aware that you can have small impacts here and there, but you're not responsible to, nor can you change him completely in this way. But you do want to make sure you're not making it worse. doesn't mean you have to just kick him out of the house, but that you are mindful of how much you're making life too easy for him by preventing him to face the real consequences of the world and his life. Yeah, you know, I listen to you and your dad mm-hmm. on daily basis. <laughs> and I know your dad says, you know, sometimes they have like other issues. So by punishing him, if he has some other issue that's causing him to smoke weed, so I'm not helping him. Yeah, and it's and it's not just about punishing. Um, in this sense, when I say having consequences, not to punish him, it's to make him face reality. So you're not going to say, you know, if you do this, I'm going to punish you really bad. But it's that this is an expectation, which is a realistic expectation that you're 24. And so there's some financial ways that you contribute to the home. And you have to think about how you live your life based on that. Because it seems like right now there are no consequences to what he does or what he doesn't do so it's not necessarily punishment but it's about real life consequences and i wouldn't just impose it all of a sudden today you're going to tell him from now on you have to do this 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 and this but have a conversation with him that you know as he's getting older and you can think about it also with your daughter we have some expectations or we want to create some expectations to to make you aware of the things that go into taking care of yourselves, taking care of a family and, and running your own lives. Because it seems like he can, you know, in a lot of ways, there's a, he's 24, but he's living still like a 14-year-old type of life where he can kind of do what he wants and escape things and just be on his own. So that's what I mean, that we want to encourage him to face consequences some more rather than you're yeah. going to tell him something to fix this. And as I said, I wouldn't make the marijuana your focus at all. Okay, but should I talk to him about it at all, or just completely? The marijuana, I don't think you're not gonna you're not gonna change his mind on it. You're not gonna help. It's just gonna create this. Um, either he'll hide it from you, or he'll just be more annoyed by you about it. Mm-hmm. I just don't see it as something you're going to change in any way, and nor is it the main problem. So, in my opinion, mm-hmm. focusing on that is not going to be helpful. Something else. Yeah. Okay. Is uh-huh. it going to be beneficial? Because he did mention this himself a few times. Is it going to be beneficial for him to go to those AA classes? Is it, it AA? Could. It could. Well, uh, yeah, NA or uh, there's different. There's lots of different things that can help. But the thing is, he has to want to make a change. If he says, "I want to keep smoking," then no, those classes won't help, or those kinds mm-hmm. of groups won't help. He has so to really want to. He has to that. want, and 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 it doesn't seem like he does. So I wouldn't uh, focus on on that. It can be part okay. of what's going to help him maybe smoking less, maybe stopping smoking can help him. But as I said, I think his biggest, bigger issue is that he's not facing life. Lack of responsibility. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Nice talking to you. Wish you all the best. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate you. My pleasure. Have a wonderful day. Take care. You do the same. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. Back studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes. Hi. Thanks for calling. Uh, am I on? I'm. I'm not sure. Yes, you're on the air. 
Okay, great. Hello, Mr. Holokai, Dr. Holokai. Yeah, I'm calling regarding my son. Mm -hmm. He's 18 years old. He just turned uh, 18. Okay. But uh, he has had this long history of depression, mm -hmm. clinically depression, since he was 11, 12, and seems like it's getting worse. And he has had a lot of suicidal thoughts. He's mm -hmm. been in and out of the hospital multiple times. Right now, he's, he just admitted to the another hospital. But since he turned 18, it has changed. Now he's treated as an adult. And uh, I'm very concerned about him, and I'm not sure exactly how to, now that he can make a lot of mm. decisions himself, mm -hmm. I don't know how to uh, deal with that and how to help him to make the right decision for himself. Sure. Yeah, I mean, these um, these types of laws, of course, they have value and we need to treat adults as adults, but it's tough because, you know, right when he turns 18, it's not like so much has changed, but all of a sudden, legally, things can be very different, especially in regards to treatment, seeking treatment, your access to even who he's talking to or what's going on there. And so if your son's been dealing with depression since 11, 12, it seems clearly like it's something um, in his brain, something more, like it's not something simple that's going to get easily resolved. He likely will need uh, lots of treatment and will continue to need treatment to deal with what he's going through. So what, where, what is he doing right now as far as, or how is he doing, first of all, when you're saying you think it's getting worse? And then is he getting treatment at this time? She is right now. Actually, it's about three, four nights ago, he was not. He was at home, but he was not feeling very well. So we took him to the emergency, and they hmm. definitely recommended that he gets admitted to the psych ward. Uh -huh. So he is right now in the hospital right now, but uh, he he wouldn't stay there. He wants to get out as soon as possible, and uh, he has a, a lot of. Uh, suicidal thoughts and like um, if I'm very sure that if we do not do something about it he will act on it uh, he had mm -hmm. pl planned it out before uh, even finding a location doing all this stuff and then fortunately we were found out and we were able to help him or prevent it yeah. from happening Did, so he has he has he ever he was planning at that time did he ever attempt no, he has not attempted yet. Okay, okay. Tell me a bit about the family. Um, does he have siblings? Do you live with his uh, mom? What, what's going on with the family? Yeah, dynamic? we have. Uh, he has uh, one younger sibling. He's fourteen, and then uh, I also have an older son. He doesn't live with us, but there are three brothers, and they are actually very close. Okay, and then are you and his mother still married, or what's the situation? Yes, yes, okay. we are together. Okay. And so what's what's your relationship like with, with your son that we're talking about? Actually, we are very close. Mm -hmm. um, he does uh, share a lot of thoughts with me, and uh, there has been some reluctancy as he's gone older, and, uh, but um, he is very... Uh, has a lot of dependency to the family. He really ha has a hard time been away from us uh, like uh, even uh, he was in this uh, was a place for about five months it was almost like a 
just for the uh, youth and they had schools and stuff but he was it was away from us for about two four hundred miles and he was really complaining and because of the covid we couldn't visit him as often mm-hmm. as we wanted to uh, so it was very difficult for him and then he left and he was with us for about a month and a half and then things start falling apart again and then we ended up in the emergency and he was admitted to the hospital hmm. okay um, and is he on medication right now yes he is okay um, you know the medication can be helpful unfortunately there's no magic pill um, but also it can be good to, at times, different medications respond differently to different people. I'm sure you and, and your wife and him, you've tried a lot of things to help him. Yes, we have. I mean, he has been through multiple different radiation, and he had, like, one uh, medication that it caused seizure for him, so mm-hmm. we stopped that. And then... Uh, but right now he's on three different medication. Uh, however, like he complains that like as far as the depression, all these medication that he's been on is not really helping. Mm. And something I mean, and the other thing that he's really suffering is from the incredibly uh, lack of self confidence. Mm. Mm-hmm. He's so afraid of everything, and he doesn't like. Um, uh, something recently that he's really afraid of going up and down the stairs and just he's terrified of escalators uh, mm-hmm. and uh, he used to be, I used to take him hiking a lot and he loved it but now he doesn't even go close to that because he's afraid of falling or you know, he's afraid of heights and mm-hmm. so he's slowly or maybe not as slowly deteriorating to the kind of very um, uh, self-isolating he yeah. doesn't want to see anybody and yeah so there seems to be a lot of anxiety there too a very strong anxiety and even I don't know if those are phobias the things with the stairs and escalators but um, some intense anxiety that's making him isolate more and unfortunately depression also leads to people isolating themselves which creates a downward spiral in how they're doing um what else is going on in his life at this time? Let's say academically, did he finish high school? What's going on with him? No, he's in last year of high school, and last year because of the first COVID, yeah, and then he was, and then he had a lot of issues, so he kind of uh, and we mm, held him back, or he didn't attend the school as much. Uh, so he is back in now. He's in the last year of high school, uh, but. Uh, he only went for one week and now he's back in the hospital and so I don't know hmm. I'm kind of I'm not as concerned about his academic sure I'm so more worried about like, absolutely his right now and yeah uh, uh, yeah I'm just trying to get a full picture of what's going on in his life but absolutely we want to make sure he's okay um, how he's feeling and how he's doing overall and then those other things are definitely secondary in a, in a major way of course what can happen though is because of what we do or don't do that can also affect how we feel so you know when people let's say uh, do well in school that can make them feel good when they don't do well that can have an impact now we have to balance that with how he's doing we're not going to force him to go uh, but I was just trying to get an idea of one what's going on in his life and also it, it does give me another 
um, insight into how he's doing that he had to either be held back or, or take a break from school uh, really as is expected based on how you described him he's not doing well uh, and how he's feeling um, what leading up to this hospitalization did he say he was suicidal what led to um, you taking him to the hospital so yeah basically for the uh, for three, four days, he completely self-isolated himself. He refused to go to school. He refused to eat. Mm. He wouldn't come out of his room for almost 48 hours at a time, to the point that I had to go and almost drag him out. Uh, and uh, so it was, and like, uh, he, he actually has a very good support team of uh, um, uh, therapists and a psychiatrist. And also I have some individual friends who are psychiatrists. Mm -hmm. However, uh, uh, with his team, they actually were very concerned and they contacted me and said things are not going well. Our communication and conversation with him is are not uh, uh, not going well and we, he definitely needs to be hospitalized. Mm -hmm. or just So that's how I him to the yeah. emergency and from there he ended up in the hospital and you're saying he didn't want to go himself he didn't want to go himself and he is constantly right now every day that I communicate with him he says I want to check out and I'm going to check out today or tomorrow mm. and of course he has every um, I mean he can do whatever he wants because he's 18 well is he on a 72 hour hold or what's the mm, uh, he, uh, yes but it, the 72 hours has passed. Okay. Uh, and uh, where he is, he's actually, this, they are basically crisis prevention. Mm -hmm. They don't do any therapies or stuff. Well, so, you know, I mean, and you maybe have had experience with him in the hospital, but generally when you go to a psychiatric hospital, it's more about stabilization than doing a deep therapy. When I did a internship at a hospital, actually we were, encouraged or in a way we can say discouraged to go deep into issues because we didn't want to open things up so it's more about just stabilizing and getting them back out into the world and then they would hopefully seek more intensive treatment there so um, I'm sure that if they're doing therapy although I don't know you're saying it's more of a crisis response rather than a psychiatric hospital either way they probably aren't going to do deep therapy it's very challenging obviously I'm not telling you something you don't know what you're going through I'm wondering if the his team that you're talking about, have they tried any alternative ways of dealing with his depression? Because clearly his depression is very, very serious, um, and you've tried many types of things and medications. Have they tried anything considered more alternative or, or second or third line types of treatment? No, we have not. Okay. And that's something that I'm... Uh, right now, it's kind of like... Because he has actually had a um, uh, therapist for... He saw her for over almost five, six years and mm -hmm. things did not go well at all and then fortunately we changed the therapist and, uh, but he was really attached to her I and mean, he was mm. was really disappointed that she was no longer she retired so she could no oh. longer see him uh, but no, we have not uh, I'm actually we are, mm. I'm in such a deep sense of helplessness to yeah. how to help this kid that I, mm -hmm. uh, trying to do any anything that is logical and is something that it was, it has a possibility of helping him I'm open to it yeah. but why have we haven't done any alternative uh, remedy or uh, treatment for him yet 
Okay. Well, I don't have a clear answer for you, but I, I mean, maybe there's things you've looked at yourself. Uh, what I want to do is we're we're at a commercial break, and I definitely want us to continue our conversation of seeing what sure. other things we can try and, and also what else we can talk about your relationship with him or how you relate to him if there's ways that might be more helpful. But it, it seems like obviously a very challenging and serious case. So l let's um, go to a commercial break, but we'll talk a bit after, okay? Okay, sure. Thank oh, you. Sure. All right. We'll be right back. back before the break we're with a caller let's go back to them now caller are you still there yes i'm here okay uh so we were talking about your son who's 18 and who has been uh, battling depression since he was young about 11 or 12 i think you said and it's still still tough and in some ways getting worse uh, as you described it yourself um, as i mentioned before the break i asked about what are considered some as alternative treatments for depression because Clearly what your son is experiencing is what we sometimes will call treatment-resistant depression. Have they told you that term before, his doctors or people on his team? Yes, I, uh, I have heard of that. And it's not that he... Uh, it seems like that most of the medication that they have tried on him is not really working. And uh, some of the things that he... Is really suffering, and I think it's the consequence of the depression is the lack of motivation mm -hmm. and uh, like not wanting to do anything, not wanting to uh, just. And I think just he is really afraid of exposure or just embarrassing himself mm -hmm. or doing all those things. So he's like kind of um, uh, just try. That's how he tries to isolate himself. Yeah, um, and uh, uh, that that's the scary part that he doesn't want to I mean he used to be so motivated and so uh, like he care about the environment he wanted to be a paleontologist he wanted to have so many other things and now he just absolutely doesn't want to do anything hmm. uh, he just want to be at home yeah. and so yeah that's one of the unfortunate things depression sometimes they'll um, talk about a downward spiral because when you're depressed, for example, like you're saying, you'll withdraw more. And when you withdraw more, you feel more depressed, you feel less connected to the world, you feel more isolated, and then it makes it even harder to then do things. And so you get more depressed and you can really get stuck in this uh, downward spiral. Actually, there's a book called The Upward Spiral um, by Alex Korb, K-O-R-B. Might be worth looking at for, for yourself because mm -hmm. um, what he's talking about there is trying to create an upward spiral when it comes to depression so that rather than getting stuck in the downward spiral, if we start doing some positive things, we maybe can go in a, a more positive direction. So you might want to check out that book. Um, again, it's called The Upward Spiral by Alex Korb, K-O-R-B. Um, but I was mentioning other treatments because I was wondering if the doctors have suggested, usually when we say treatment-resistant depression, it means we've tried 
the, the traditional antidepressants and therapy, some combination of those, and we still see that it's not helping much. But there are some other treatments, and of course, I'm going to make these as just suggestions, as options that, um, well, first of all, he's not he's 18 now, so he would have to make those choices. But because he works with doctors and has a team, I don't want to interfere with their work, but just things I'm curious if they've thought about or if they've come up. Um, so there's a few. One is things like TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation. Have you heard of that? I have not. Okay. So that's something, there is some promising research on that. You know, So if you look it up, TMS. And then related to that, there's deep brain stimulation. And sometimes those can be different in how you have to, to do them. So those are, that's in a way, they're similar, but that's two. Um, another one is ketamine um, treatment. So um, ketamine is a drug that has been used as an anesthetic for a long time, but also can have some properties that help with depression and anxiety. And there's some newer research on that as well. So I would look at that as well, ketamine, as a possible treatment. Sometimes you get it infused, meaning you have to go into a clinic and get it essentially like an IV. There's other ways as well. I think the IV, from my understanding, tends to be the most precise way to make sure you're getting the right bioavailability, the amount of the drug that the patient is uh, taking into their body and using. So that's another treatment. Um, A third one or third class I'll mention that people can have a reaction to because of how it's been portrayed in the media and movies like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest um, is electroconvulsive therapy, ECT. And that has been used in treatment-resistant depression as well. And thankfully, when you look at those old videos and what it looked like before, um, it was much more almost barbaric in the way that the patient experienced things, but they've gotten a lot better at at doing that uh, ECT, so it's not as bad. Um, But all of these, as I said, are just options or suggestions to consider when we're dealing with treatment-resistant depression, and there can be some I haven't mentioned that are out there. I I would imagine the team has looked at some of these things, or you yourself have looked at different things because of your concern for your son, but wanted to make sure I mentioned some of those to you. Are you still there? Caller? Sorry, I oh. my, my mute button. <laughs> That's okay. So, uh, for TMS, could you repeat what is it? Sure. What's the acronym for? Uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, it's becoming more um, common, or as far as there's more places that have it. So, it's just something to look at again, as you said, because he's a. Um, he's 18, your son, he would have to want to do something himself. But it's things to look into because if the medications, and of course it doesn't mean the medications aren't helping. It could be that he'd be doing worse if he didn't have the medication. So sometimes people think, well, let's just get rid of it because it's not helping because he's not doing really well or feeling good. But it could be that it's preventing him from being worse. And so I wouldn't just say cut those out. But it can be important to look at some alternative treatments if we've tried so many things for years and still it seems clearly he's not doing well. Yeah, you know, I'm I've kind of been a skeptical of just the alternative term therapies, especially like, but uh, we are, I'm kind of 
into a desperation mode because I sure. don't know how to help him. Yeah. And I and I see him just completely deteriorating from yeah. somebody who was articulate, very smart, very playful, like she was and well liked. I mean even now he's extremely kind and gentle and very self aware. Mm-hmm. However, he's really suffering from this and uh so it's kind of uh just to how to not knowing and this sense of helplessness yeah how to help him that's so debilitating and paralyzing yeah i mean i i can understand it must be so so painful for you to see him and you're trying what seems like everything as the treatments go and it seems like it's not helping even maybe he's doing worse and I know when, you know, even when I said it, it comes off as alternative, as in like we're trying something um, not based on science or evidence or anything. But those things that I've mentioned, there's research done on them. They're just not the more traditional because things change slowly. They're not the traditional treatments, but it doesn't mean they are just like, hey, let's just try something, see what happens. There's actual research showing that it can be helpful in dealing with depression. So I want to make it clear um, that mm. those things, that transcranial magnetic stimulation, sometimes it's repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation, so RTMS, but either way you'll find it, ketamine, and then um, electroconvulsive therapy, which again, I know sounds extreme, but the way it's done now um, it, it can be helpful for very extreme depressions. Also, um, there's something called vagus nerve stimulation, VNS, um, but usually that's also tried after those other ones are tried. So uh, there are these treatments, and as I said, I don't want you to think of them as alternative, like we're um, trying something random that has no effect, but maybe it'll work, or one person is, some random doctor has this, you know, theory there's real research backing these uh, things up but you want to talk to his team and professionals as i said i'm definitely not here to make a decision but i want to just bring to your attention these possible alternative in the sense that they're not antidepressants um, but they can be helpful and another thing about antidepressants um, i talked about this on monday's show actually in a different way but when we think okay you're depressed you think i should take an antidepressant that's the medication to take away depression but People who take antidepressants, I forgot the percentage, but most people don't get better on antidepressants. Or it it can be helpful, but it's not just something, well, it takes away depression for everyone. So it's very common that people actually don't get better from just using antidepressants. So it's not that rare for, for that to happen. It's not that the antidepressant should make everyone feel better. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. It sure. It was a pleasure talking to you. And Yeah, I, you know, I, I wish you the best. It's a challenging one. Um, as I said, you know, you're, I'm sure, trying so many things. I would make sure you focus on your relationship with him, trying to stay close with him, trying to support him. I'm sure you're doing all of those things. And I hope you will continue to look for different types of treatments that, that might be able to help him, but wish you the best. Thank you. Sure. Pleasure talking to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, let's go to uh, another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Am I on the Yes, line? hi, thanks for calling. Hi, pleasure to speak with you. Likewise. Can you hear me okay? Yes, hear you just fine. Uh, awesome. Um, so my question is regarding um, opening, well, it's just a very, very, very beginning stage of designing a business plan of a children's place, 
daycare or whatever we want to call it okay. uh, in California. Mm-hmm. And I would, it's been my dream for 20 years to do this. And I already did done it once. I opened a daycare center back in a different state. But currently I moved to California about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And it's been for years I've been wanting to start a daycare center or baby infant center basically but only focusing on infants and toddlers and I finally decided to move forward with the plan it's my dream basically and not plan and so I wanted to ask your opinion if you suggest if you think it's a good idea to focus only on infants up until newborn till age 18 months or possibly maybe even 36 months, not all the way to four or five before they go to school. So before I was in the process of starting right now, I was in the process of thinking and uh, doing the business plan and planning it. So I thought I would have started with a, you know, take it first a step in the right direction. If if you have any suggestion for me. Well, it's it's hard for me to say what would be the, um, the right age group. You know, obviously uh-huh. younger kids, it's going to be even harder to to take care of them or might have a bigger impact on them, but there's a need for that. Right. So people need that. Yeah. So I, I, it's hard for me to tell you that's a bad, what's your concern? Is it, mm-hmm. if you do that, it's going to be, what makes you even ask that question? Is it, you want to know if it's healthy or it's healthier for the kids to be of a wider range? What's your mm-hmm. concern? Yes. I understand. What is the, what is the best, uh, what, what suits best? the infants and and where I come from is um, being a mother who um, children are basically the, the love of my life I love 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 children it's one of the it's my passion mm-hmm. I mean only I only end up having two of my own which are grown adult now but I always had that dream and possibly my two adult daughters will be involved in it as you know as part of the board or part of, as a partner or emotional or educational part part of that but I always, and I worked in several daycares when I just moved to the state and I opened the center, it was very successfully, but when I had my second child, it was sold because somebody offered us and I ended up staying home raising my children, but uh, I've always lived with this dream, but what I witnessed in those daycares, that how much these children are being neglected and how much those kids need their love of their parents, breastfeeding, issues that I witnessed as someone who worked and as someone who owned the daycare. So my dream always been to create a space for infants, at least infants that, as you know better than anyone, how crucial it is those months and time of their life, mm-hmm. to create that space for children, uh, for babies, infants, for parents who have to work, whatever level as far as the finance or work, their job or their path, the backgrounds of those, those parents are. So that, that was the intention or it is intention behind it to create the best environment for infants and um, to just basically be children or infants. Mm-hmm. So my, the reason I'm asking this question, if you think it's better to keep that place just uh, for certain age or is it better if they're only in newborn to, in, to 12 months? I mean, it's hard for me to tell you that because Mm -hmm. obviously it's based on the kind of resources you have and Uh what you're, you know, Uh what you have uh, at your disposal. Because as I was hearing you talk, and I think that's wonderful, it's your dream and you're not just keeping it a dream, you're turning it into a reality. That's great. And it's going to be your dream. But we want to make sure 
it feels as much as possible like a dream for the kids who are there, the babies that are there. Exactly. The focus is on yeah, is making sure they're um, taken care of, and so it's your dream. But the the dream only really is a reality if the kids are getting the best level of care. And for me, it's hard to tell you what Mm -hmm. you know, what's the what you can do and what you can't do because I don't know the resources you're going to have. And so that's what I mean is making sure the kids have the best. you know, I know it's going to be at some level of business, and that yes, has to course. be there. But you know, it's uh, you know, it's very easy for me to say it because I don't have to do the business side of it. But making sure that the kids and their care is the priority, and so um, we focusing right. on that rather than how do you expand it or how do you make it more profitable. You're aware of those, but the primary is making it more profitable while making sure the kids are getting the best care the priority is making sure they're okay and then the profit is second. I know it's very uh, non-capitalistic, non-mindset, uh, business mindset that people would have, but when you're telling me you're taking care of babies and that was your dream, I hope that the focus will just be on making sure they're okay, but it's hard Only, for me to tell yes. you, yes. which I'm not saying yes. I don't think that's what you want to do, but um, sure. it's hard for me to tell you that there's an age range that's the right, you know, people have a need okay. for child care, and so if you're right. wanting to be there for them, whatever age they're bringing that fits what you're capable of supporting and taking care of i I guess i would say do that but nothing comes to my mind directly of you should definitely go to a certain month or not okay but as far as the you know as far as the emotional needs i was wondering if there is is it better to for them to be around each other until up until age 18 or is it better to be where they need to after that the trend yeah transit to next age or is mm. it better to so because i want to be focused on only one age group and okay. so that can be best suited only we're only focusing this group that's where they come after sure. the parents are ready to yeah go back to work and, and come there and best suit them and sure. uh, uh, of course it's a business but number one is what is the yeah. best environment for them sure. as far as the age group i don't know you know they're, professional they're, advice yeah and, and to be okay. quite frank as far as my professional advice i don't sure. think i know mm-hmm. so i hope i'm okay. sure you're looking maybe there's research that does point to some benefits mm-hmm. or disadvantages to the different things you're bringing about. So I can't say I have okay. an answer. So I don't want to say what I'm saying no, means I it guess. doesn't make a difference because there could be something there. So, um, but as far as I what see. I can share with you, that's about all that comes to my mind. Got but it. I, I do wish you the best in what you're doing. And uh, you. I'm a big fan of babies too. So I'm glad you're going to be taking care of them. So wish you the best with that. Okay, I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Nice talking to you. Good luck. Take care. Likewise. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, let's go to our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I wanted to end the show talking about lying and telling the truth. And so it's uh, no surprise where I fall on this uh, issue of telling the truth uh, and being honest. But I wanted to talk about one aspect of it or a way of looking at lying, which is that oftentimes when people finally do tell someone that they've lied about something, um, there's, of course, the content of what you're sharing. So you're saying, you know, I've been hiding this from you or I lied to you about that. And the content can be very meaningful, of course. If you lied about it, it means you felt either bad about it or worried of their response or worried to hurt them or worried of the consequences, whatever it is, something you were, what made you afraid to tell the truth. So that's important. But sometimes what we forget is that there's the content of what you lied about, but there's also the fact that you lied. 
And so when someone is being informed of something, so if you share with someone, I lied to you about this, or if they find out some other way, we have to be aware that, of course, they're dealing with the content of the lie that they're now learning, but they're also learning another fact, which is that you lied to them, which is very significant in and of itself. So this made me think of uh, a line here that uh, we could say, which is that people tend to be hurt more by the fact that you lied than the fact that you lied about. People tend to be hurt more by the fact that you lied than the fact that you lied about. And so, yes, of course, sometimes we lie about something so significant that, that it's really the thing we lied about, the fact that we lied about that is so huge and can be a bombshell. But oftentimes in relationships, and especially when we're forming relationships, it's the fact that we lie because we lie about small things that can have a bigger impact. And that's also what I wanted to talk about today. So people often, when they're dating, when they first start to date, there could be the sense of, of course, we're trying to present the best side of ourselves. And so if you're on a dating app, of course, you're going to put the nicest pictures, probably with a filter and Facetune and whatever else you can do, uh, Photoshop to make yourself look the best, which I already think that can be a form of lying in and of itself. Of course, you're going to put your pictures where you look the best or feel like you look the best, but I would hope you don't do too much where at the end you're kind of like, uh, when the person meets you, they're like, wait, who is this? Because they saw a completely different image in the pictures that you shared. Eventually, they're going to have to see you. But overall, even in how we describe ourselves, present ourselves, the ways we talk about our lives, we tend to put on a more favorable face. I think the more realistic you can be, the better. But nonetheless, that's there's some reality to that, that when you first meet someone, you're going to present some sides of yourself and the rest will show up a little bit later. And I think some of that is okay. But the issue I have is when people blatantly lie about things. So, for example, people will blatantly lie about their age. They'll be on a dating app and they're actually 35, but they'll put 31 on the dating app. And then this is what I mean by what people oftentimes will experience is they'll be more hurt by the fact that you lie than the fact that you lied about. So I've worked with many people and seen it in my personal life that someone will say, yeah, I found out this guy told me he's 31, but it turns out he's 35. And actually, I would have been okay if he was 35. But now the fact that he lied to me about his age makes it harder for me to trust him or it creates a trust issue. And so this is where we have to be aware that the fact that we're lying to someone, that itself has an impact too, a huge impact. It's not just what you're lying about and saying something one way or the other. Or I've worked with other couples where they've been in a relationship now for a while. And let's say at the beginning, they were dating more than one person before they had committed to the person they're now with. But they were hiding this from the person they were dating. So they said, oh, I'm out with my cousins. And later they found out that actually when the person said they were out with their cousins, they were on a date with someone else. And so when they were not in an exclusive relationship, the person wasn't doing anything wrong. They maybe maybe felt uncomfortable sharing the truth. But instead of saying that uncomfortable truth or somehow just not saying anything, they lied. And so now when the partner finds out you lied to me about something, it could create some doubt into trusting them in general. And so we have to look at the way we build trust. Of course, sometimes when people hear, do you trust someone? They think we're just talking about infidelity. 
which can be one of the biggest ways you can betray someone's trust or maybe the biggest way you can betray someone's trust in a relationship. But it's definitely not the only way you betray someone's trust. And it's not the only way that you can uh, build trust is looking at whether or not you're being unfaithful or flirting with other people or talking to other people. Trust is built not just on that aspect of a relationship. Trust is a feeling you have in the reliability that you can have in your partner, how comfortable you can feel that your partner will be there when they say they will be there, that they will put you first, that they will keep their word. There's all sorts of ways that trust shows up and has meaning in a relationship outside of just if they're going to be unfaithful or not. Or even we can look at infidelity as under that same umbrella of keeping your word, being true to yourself. But trust isn't just about being unfaithful. Trust is about how much can I rely on you and feel comfortable and confident that you are what you say you are and will do what you say you do and promise to me. So when you first meet someone, yeah, you don't know if it's going to get serious. But if you're planning to date seriously, approach it as if from the beginning of dating someone, you are building the culture and the relationship between you and this person. And so in some relationships, there is a culture of lying and hiding that likely started early on in the relationship. And at other times, people can have relationships where they build a relationship that the culture is based on trust, that we tell the truth. So what I recommend to people is that if someone asks you a question on an early date and you're not comfortable sharing the answer, I would prefer rather than saying a lie and saying, well, I think it's too soon to tell him or tell her this, so I'm going to say this, that you can answer by saying, I'd rather not get into that now or I'd rather not discuss that issue. But as we get closer, if we get closer, uh, I would be happy to get into that. So it's better to acknowledge you're not going to share something, withhold some information rather than to tell a flat out lie and to say something that's not true. You can say, I don't want to share, or in general, not present something. I know sometimes we talk about lying versus telling the truth and truthfulness. And of course, if something is important and you withhold it, that can be itself a way of lying. But when you're first getting to know someone, there isn't this sense that you have to share everything with you right at the beginning. It takes time as you open up and get closer to one another. So if somehow something comes up or something is asked of you, for me, it's much preferable for you to not lie and to say, I'd rather not talk about that or, you know, it feels a little bit soon to talk about that because sometimes people will ask you a question that might feel like they're violating your boundaries. It's too personal or too specific based on how long you've known each other and you might not feel comfortable sharing that answer and that's okay. You can listen to that voice saying, I don't want to go there yet. But I would highly recommend that you don't lie to the person because now you're going to create a issue in the trust that you are building with them. Because trust is something that's built brick by brick, like a wall or like some kind of foundation. Just by saying something like, I'm going to call you at this time and then following through, that builds trust. And this is another reason, uh, similar to lying, which is maybe a little more extreme, we could say. This is why I'm very much against playing games when it comes to dating. So when people think, well, say this, but then change the plan or make them wait to make them feel like you're special or make them put more effort into getting to know you, um, you know, don't call them back or text them back for days, even though you're available, just to make them feel like you're, you know, not thinking about them that much or to make them 
chase you or whatever it is the reasoning that you put behind it but when we're playing games it's another way of not being completely honest because we're not doing what we want to do or what is available to us and we're also not usually following through with the things that we say so oh I'll call you tomorrow but I'm not going to call them back tomorrow I'm going to wait two days to make them wait and be anxious about me calling yeah you might get them initially excited or nervous or insecure which itself is actually not a good quality to have in a relationship but nonetheless maybe you think it'll get them at some level more attracted or interested and invested in you but they also are getting the message that I can't rely on you that when you tell me you're going to do something you might not follow through and that does actually create this sense of anxiety and you maybe have heard people say it's sometimes hard to or we can confuse anxiety and this worried feeling with butterflies this exciting feeling and physiologically, they can feel very similar. It can be indistinguishable at times. So sometimes people have this sense, oh, this person makes me so excited and so interested. But what they're not aware of is you're actually not excited. You're feeling worried and anxious and insecure. And that's keeping you riled up. The person is riling you up, but not in a good way. They're making you feel not okay. Uh, so when you're playing games, you might get someone riled up about you but it doesn't actually mean it's genuine interest or it's coming from a good place. And also you could be creating a foundation with some pretty severe cracks in it because the trust is not there that I can rely on you to keep your word and that when you tell me something, you mean it. Those things have value. And I hope people will take those things very seriously. And going back to the line that I was saying, people tend to be more hurt by the fact that you lied than the facts that you lied about, this can be very true when you're starting to date someone. They might not care if your age is one or two years this way or that way, but if you lie about it, the fact that you lie is going to hurt them and affect things much more negatively than the fact you lied about or if you told them the truth. If you were just upfront with them and said, you know what, this is me, this is who I am, you're at least going to first of all know that if they like you, they're liking you. And second of all, by not lying to them, you're avoiding creating these scenarios that will negatively impact the trust in your relationship. So think about when you even just let's say you're dating online from the first moment you connect or actually let me take a step back when they see your profile is everything that you have there on your profile accurate or true about you. Again, I know you'll pick the best pictures. Don't pick a picture from eight years ago. That's another thing that people tend to do. They meet someone, they say, what year am I meeting you in? Because the pictures that they have were from a different generation. So make sure you're picking, showing yourself in a way that's fairly accurate. Yes, it's going to be a nice image of you, is if you've hired a PR firm to make you look good in your branding, but make sure it's really you. But then as soon as you connect, recognize that you're building the trust from that moment going forward. You're creating a culture of trust or you're creating a culture of mistrust based on the actions you take, based on keeping your word, based on being honest with them and not lying to them. All of that contributes to the trust that if this turns into a relationship, that foundation will be strong rather than weak. So keep in mind that people tend to be hurt more by the fact that you lied than the fact that you lied about. All right, that brings us to the end of today's show. As always, a big thank you to Ghazaleh here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fahid Olaqui. Have a wonderful day.